Hello, and welcome to another episode of Don't Fuck With The Original. I'm your host, Casper. And I am your other host, Becky Gremlin. Here to bring you all things spooky on Wednesdays, even though today is Friday, because Wednesdays... And this Friday is for podcasting. (laughs) Yes, it's our first Friday doing this, actually. Uh, We had a little emergency on Wednesday. Don't worry, everything's fine. Everything is fine. Any (sighs) medical emergency on my part, but I am fine. I am not dead. That's very good. All my limbs are attached, right? Glad if I was dead, this would be really awkward. <laughs> if this, if you were dead, I'd be like, "Wow, <laughs> you look really alive." <laughs> and I just saw you eat two slices of pizza, so I'm still trying to figure out how. <laughs> You've been texting me today, and I'm just really confused. Like, go is that what it means by being ghosted? <laughs> well. By an actual ghost. By an actual ghost? (laughs) I've never been texted by a ghost before. That would be an interesting experience. Whoa, I don't know about that. I think I would just poop my pants. (laughs) So, you guys, we were going to talk about the Menendez brothers. Yes, that is our true crime episode. This month. This month. For the month of August. Um, we both just recently watched a really great documentary on Amazon Prime called uh, The Menendez Brothers, Eric Tell- Tells All. And uh, it's an exclusive prison interview with Eric Menendez, which was the youngest brother um, of the two brothers that was convicted of murdering their parents. Um, last year is when it was recorded. Last year is actually when... So they both were in prison in 97, I believe, was the last trial. Or was it 94? 94. 94 Because they the got convicted trial. when I was a year old. So 94 was the last trial when they were convicted. And recently, as of 2018, last year, they were both finally put in the same jail together in California. So uh, this was a five-part, I think, like, docu-series, mini-series. I think it might have actually aired on regular TV, but it's on Amazon Prime now, and it was really great and really insightful and really great. gave, I think, the truest story as to what happened. Um, So this is definitely going to trigger warning to everybody out there. There's going to be some really delicate stuff we talk about. Obviously, that goes without saying when we do these kind of podcasts. But um, just we'll to try let to keep it light. Know, yeah, we always try to keep it light and as fun as we possibly can. But we do just want to let people know that if you have been victims of sexual assault or know anyone or this is, you know, close to home to you, this might be kind of triggering. There was one episode that Casper and I both just cried. It got very emotional and very detailed as to what happened. Um, so we won't get as graphic, but obviously we're going to discuss what happened um it's also on hulu too guys just to let you know we want to give you know we want to give a true account to do them justice because we think we owe it to eric and lyle to be able to tell their story as true to what we believe it to be because this trial if any of you were alive at the time or old enough to remember was heavily publicized as two rich spoiled kids that just killed their parents for money and even though it was discussed and brought up by both of them in the first trial on the stand that they were both victims of sexual abuse by their father, that was all but admitted in this omitted in the second trial. 
And even when it was mentioned in the first trial, it was almost as if they were made fun of and, and looked upon as weak. And both Casper and I said that if this would have been the Menendez sisters and this would have been two girls that would have been victims of abuse by their father and would have just been fed up with it and mom didn't do anything about it and they killed their parents, this would have been a totally different story. But it was just too hard for people to believe that two boys were being not only abused but sexually abused by their father well into even adulthood and that they didn't defend themselves because nobody would know what to do if they were put in a situation like that. You can say one thing, but especially because their father legit said, threatened them said, if they told anybody, Eric said this, his dad said to him, if you tell anybody at all, I will kill you. So your parent tells you they're going to kill you. What, they believed, you know, and, and for them, they had every reason to believe it. Their father had, you know, connections and kept weapons and other family members were afraid of him. So he was not a well-liked guy at all anyway. But we'll go into some history about the family, um, obviously, and then we'll go into the day of the murders and trial subsequently after that. Um, and then some new developments as of last year that might change some things um, with their case, hopefully, hopefully for the better. Yeah. So, so I guess you, I can go over backgrounds. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we, um, we did, I did want to mention something really quick. Cause Casper, I don't know if you've been made aware of this story or if you guys have been made aware of the story, um, that there is a pretty popular podcast out of Indianapolis that just got accused of plagiarism. Yep. Like real hardcore. And we here on don't fuck with the original try to be really good about citing our sources. I mean, obviously Wikipedia is in a godsend <laughs> to anybody <laughs> yeah. that does a podcast. Um, but yeah, we try to cite every source we use. And especially if we happen to get sources from, you know, other podcasts or people that wrote books or anything, because we definitely want to give credit where credit's due. Because well, that's what the, we, we've done that before too. Like, you'll be like, Hey, I got this from this podcast and we'll give them a shout out. Like, yeah, we want to give credit where credit's due. And we definitely don't want to take away someone's hard earned research when it's, helping us at the end of the day so absolutely yeah i just want if there's any time you guys ever hear anything that we might have missed or you know you're like hey that sounded familiar from this thing i was watching or you know something like that and you really feel like that's where we got it from please by all means let us know and oh just, yeah for because sure. we'll, we'll definitely you know on the next episode we'll be like we're sorry we meant to mention that um, we, like Becky said, we try to always do it, but I'm sure there's going to be a time where we're going to forget like one sided place. So if you, if you catch it, just let us know and we'll definitely, uh, make it right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So that's why we're talking about the documentary thing that we watched because that was, that really was a good. huge source of information. Oh my God. Huge source. And of course we encourage everybody to watch it. Definitely. Mm -hmm. There's also this. another one on Hulu as well. It's called, it's only about an hour and a half documentary and it's called like the Menendez murders or something like that. And it's listed. If you type in the Menendez Menendez, just type that in, it comes up automatically with right. the five part thing. And that was a good documentary as well. And I would strongly encourage people to watch 
documentaries versus like made for TV movies about this case because I know that afterwards and even up until a few years ago there were like made for TV movies that were very inaccurate about this case and again portrayed portrayed Lyle and Eric very much as the media did during the trial as spoiled rich kids that just killed their parents for money which I don't believe that's what happened but and that's another thing I wanted to bring up. Everybody has their opinion, you know, about this case. We're we're going to give you the facts, and then we're just going to share our opinion. Right. Um, we're not saying cold cut and dry, this is what happened. But, you know, at the end of the day, nobody truly is going to know what happened besides them. But, yeah, we're going to be as, as unbiased as possible when we give you the facts very much in every true crime one yeah you know like like we did with Jeffrey Dahmer like we obviously you know he had very horrific crimes but if you look at the background um even like when we went over the Lizzie Borden episode too when you people are going to form their own opinions about the murder but you know we gave you the facts and then gave you our opinion so that's that's what we try to do we don't want to sway anybody but you know Form your own opinion. Right. Listen to what we say, facts-wise, and then if what we say doesn't really match your opinion, that's fine. <laughs> We're not going to be like, oh my god. <laughs> you have to agree with us. You have to agree with us. <laughs> Don't fuck with our opinion. <laughs> We're going to rename our podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that, that don't would be, fuck with our opinion. Don't. That's one way to stop getting right, listeners. Right, right, don't know. fuck with our opinion. Oh my god, never listening to them. Again. Actually, that's what the entire internet should be called. Don't fuck with my opinion. Oh my god. <laughs> Let's not get into that though. That's a whole other story for another day. We have to start a whole new podcast. <laughs> so today on Don't Fuck with My Opinion, that would have actually. I feel like that would make for a solid idea. That probably would because you could have so. Oh much all you gotta do is look for fights on the internet I we're feel gonna like trademark that's the easiest... that nobody steal that yeah that's the easiest shit to do all you gotta do is look for fights on the internet <laughs> which is like an everyday occurrence for me to see on facebook instagram twitter well not really instagram actually just mostly twitter and mostly facebook. twitter yeah and facebook anyway facebook i couldn't say though because most of those are personal oh my god <laughs> oh all right. Anyway, <laughs> so getting into the background, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Lyle and Eric's parents. So Lyle and Eric's father, Jose Enrique Menendez, was born May 6th, 1944 in Havana, Cuba. At age 16, <laughs> he moved to the United States after the Cuban Revolution. Jose attended Southern Illinois University, where he met Mary Louise Anderson, also known as Kitty. And they married in 1963 and moved to New York City, where Jose earned an accounting degree from Queens College. The couple's first son, Joseph Lyle Menendez, who went by his middle name, was born on January 10, 1968. Kitty quit her teaching job after Lyle was born and the family moved to Jersey, where Eric was born on November 27, 1970. Excuse me. In New Jersey, the family lived in Hopewell Township, Mercer County, New Jersey, and both brothers attended Princeton Day School. In 1986, Jose's career as a corporate executive took the family to Calabasas, California, where the brothers lived during their adolescence. The following year, Eric began attending high school in Calabasas, where he earned average grades, but had a remarkable talent for tennis and ranked 44th in the nation for 18 and under players. That's pretty legit, actually. 
Lyle enrolled at Princeton University, but during his freshman year, he was placed on an academic probation for poor grades and attendance, and was eventually suspended for a year after being accused of plagiarism. (laughs) Speaking of plagiarism. (laughs) Right, of all things. And, you know, a lot of that was attributed to the fact of the pressure that they felt from their father. I mean, because not only during this time, and this was something that was mentioned during the documentary, was that the abuse specifically with Eric started around the time that he was about six or seven years old. And um, there was so much, not only was there pressure, there was so much, the abuse kind of went along with that. Because it wasn't just physical abuse, it was emotional abuse. It was emotional and sexual abuse. It was all wrapped into that. Um, There was something that was mentioned in the documentary about their dad was obsessed with like Greek Roman mythology. And there was, uh, you know, and if anybody's familiar with reading about that, there was a custom because it wasn't considered homosexual or anything at the time, but there was a custom of having young boy slaves is for lack of a better term that they were referred to as for to have sex with or oral sex with and that was deemed to help relieve stress from roman soldiers that were going into battle or going into war or even ones that were going into competitions at the coliseum so his dad had this really perverted way of thinking that that would somehow help his boys especially I believe it's Eric was the one that was the tennis champ, correct? The youngest that he would have these things of telling Eric that, um, that would, would help his game that would help relieve pressure and relieve stress. He was constantly massaging him and rubbing him and it would start and it would be things like that into, you know, masturbating him, oral sex, different things like that. And he perverted in this way of telling him that this is what Roman soldiers did uh and yeah i mean he his dad was just sick his dad was totally sick and that's why you know and then going into with school so not only do you have this sexual abuse going on but then you have this mental emotional abuse going on that you constantly had to have a's a pluses you constantly had to be an honor roll you constantly had to be in top of your class you constantly had to be the best student they they were put in every kind of sport every kind you know but they were never one thing Eric also mentioned is they were never put in team sports. Yeah. They were never put in anything like football or basketball because God forbid they make friendships with anybody outside of the home that they would be able to tell what their dad was doing to them then. Or you not know, the that fact that they, would, they wouldn't shine because other people would. Exactly. Other people would overshadow them. They had to be, would over, be, overshadow them and they had to be the top of They had to be everything. in the spotlight. In the basically. spotlight of everything. Right. Exactly. exactly. And that's what their dad wanted for them was to be perfect. Right. Basically. He wanted, <clears throat> wanted them to be perfect. Now Eric was um, at the time of the murder was he he was 18 wasn't he? Eric was 18, I believe. Yes, yeah. Lyle was Because it was, it was very close to about the time where Eric was excited because he was getting ready to go off to college. And um, he basically was more excited. He said in his own words, he was excited to go to college because he thought that's when the sex would stop. 
um, with his dad is what he was referring to. And he said that his dad told him that he would be living at home, even though they had dorms at the college. And he, he basically broke. And he got really upset and went outside. And I believe Lyle was already outside, or he went outside and followed him out. And um, Eric was like, do you remember that time when you asked me if something was going on between me and dad? And Lyle said, yeah. And he said, "Um, well, it's still happening. And basically, Eric told him everything. And that made Lyle obviously very upset. I mean, imagine hearing your sibling telling you that your parent is abusing them sexually, even though he had sexually abused Lyle as well, according to him. So Lyle, of course, gets upset, confronts Jose about it, and that just, he basically stormed into Eric's room. How dare, I told you not to tell him, I'm going to kill you. Eric's like terrified for his life. And this sticks in my mind a lot. And I'm really curious as to what actually was going to happen. The night before the murder, the night before the night of the murders, they went on a boat trip to go quote unquote fishing. And it was Lyle and Eric and their parents. And it was it the fisherman and his, like his hand, mm-hmm. basically like the guy's Assistant. boat. The, yeah. yeah. And they were out there fishing. And the guy even said like, they interviewed him and he said that the family's vibe was just very weird. Um, he said the parents were down, down in the boat and they weren't with anybody else. And Lyle and Eric were upstairs just like on the, the, um, tip of the boat just talking and stuff and he's like Eric Eric said I I legitimately don't know what was going to happen that night because he said he remembers his mom saying something to the point of I wish there weren't so many people here when in reality it was just them four and the other two people so he's like what is that supposed to mean like were they actually conspiring to kill their children like the mother knew what was going on so because the family members that contested and actually like spoke up about it was like, yeah, Kitty would always be like, don't go down there, leave them alone. So she knew what was going on. But my thing is, is what was actually, what were they doing? Why were they, why did she say that? Were they actually conspiring to kill those children on that boat? Who knows? Right? Because she, she was very deeply depressed herself. Mm-hmm. Like Kitty was, I mean, there was no, secret in the family that she was a severe alcoholic that she was on a multitude of different pills there was the one cousin in the documentary that said normally the cabinet above the stove would be like where people would keep their spices and things like that I mean I know that's where my mom certainly kept everything in our house but you opened that cabinet and it was filled with nothing but pill bottles and every single one of them were prescribed to Kitty. Every single one of them were prescribed to her. And she got pissed off when she found that he was looking through there, slammed the door shut. She was hopped up on so much stuff that they said that there would be times she would just be sitting there like a zombie. I mean, she had just completely checked out and she felt like you know, he had total control. Jose had total control of everything. And she, I think that he put it in her mind that this is what he's going to do. This is what's best for the family. This is what's best for his boys. And if you leave me, 
you will have nothing. I will make sure you have absolutely nothing, that you will walk away with nothing. And he had money. Mm-hmm. He had money. Homes, cars. She could go out wherever she wanted, hair done, at the nails done at the finest places. But, I mean, at the cost of what? And he's doing this to your children? I don't care if you have to live in a shelter. You take these, you take this monster away from your kids. But I think there was, you know, cause I've seen this in other interviews where I think not, I don't, I don't remember specifically if it was mentioned in the one that we watched, but there were other interviews that I've read where there was almost like this sick jealousy that Kitty had over the boys, specifically Eric. And she would be extremely verbally abusive to the boys as well, just as much as Jose was verbally abusive to them. Uh, I think that their lawyer, Leslie Abramson, tried to bring up that there was possibly sexual abuse from her part, but I don't believe that was ever deemed true. And Lyle and Eric never mentioned that. All the sexual abuse was directly from their dad, which was just really another part of his manipulation. But that their mom had this like, because, and this was from other family, because Jose stopped having sex with her, wouldn't have sex with her, wouldn't touch her, wouldn't do anything, but obviously is raping her sons. And she had this like, like, why is he picking them? Oh, why is he picking him over me? And then the other weird thing is too, is like, this was mentioned is how even though Eric and Lyle were only three years apart and lived in the same home, he really tried to create a separation between the two of them and almost not really so much pit them against each other, but never let the other one know what was going on. And that's why for years, Lyle had no idea that Eric was being molested because Lyle was being molested too. And there were even times when they were younger that Lyle admitted to molesting Eric and Eric remembered it happening. Because Lyle thought that this is what you did. I mean, if you're, if this starts when you're six, seven years old, you're a baby. How do you know what is and isn't right? And then this is also coming from your father. You're just doing what you're being taught. That's literally all it is. Monkey see, monkey do. So, um, yeah, I think there was, I remember that discussion on the boat and then, um, yeah, I mean, there were many times where there were threats that they were going to be killed. And if it wasn't going to be both boys, it was going to be one or the other. So. That would be, they had legitimate fear of their parents, too, because they were, like, scared. If you're legitimately scared that your parents going to kill you, something something is ter- clearly something's wrong. If you think your parents actually going to kill you. I think, or I think would have really would have, I think it would have been more plausible to believe that Jose would have killed them and Kitty just would have helped him cover it up. More than likely, yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, that night, I guess, well, the next morning, um, basically Eric was just saying that he had to get out. He had to, he had to get out and leave and just take a kind of, take a day to himself, basically is what he did. Well, he comes home kind of late that night and Lyle's waiting for him and he's kind of upset that he's late and here comes dad. Well, Lyle said something like mom and dad have been waiting for you to get home. And then this huge fight breaks out because Eric was late. I guess they wanted him home. 
and they basically tell him to go to their rooms, and then they uh, go to the den. Him, uh, Jose and Kitty both go to the den. I guess they're probably discussing what they're going to do. And at that point, Eric is like, they're going to kill us. Oh, huge detail I left out. I apologize. Was it a day or, or about a week before the murders happened, they went out and bought shotguns? You know what? I was just trying to find that. Um, <laughs> um, I think it was a week. It wasn't long before that. I mean, prior to all that happening. Yeah, because they, they based to. they bought those guns for defense, is what Eric said. Is that they bought it in case their lives were threatened and they had something to defend themselves with. See, I believe that I thought it happened when you had mentioned that Lyle had confronted their father about, you know, what he was doing when Lyle had confronted Jose about what he was doing to Eric. They were terrified enough then. I think that's, you're that right. I think that that's when they tried to went out and got the guns. That they I think went out right, and got yeah. guns at that time. But I believe it was still like within a week of right. this happening. Um, so at this point, they're both absolutely terrified that their parents are actually going to kill them at this, like, this night. Lyle tells basically just goes and gets the guns and tells Eric, um, they're, they're both just absolutely terrified and they open the den because their parents were sitting on the couch in the den and they walked in and just started shooting basically is what he said. He said, we just started shooting. Um, Jose was shot in the back of the head and uh, Kitty woke up by the shots and then she was shot in the leg as she tried to run. And she slipped on her own blood and fell. And then she was shot several times in the arm, chest, and face. And she was left unrecognizable. Um, They were also shot in the kneecaps in attempts to make the murders appear connected to an organized crime. And which, that's actually true because they thought it was a mob hit. Is what the um, police had to say. They thought it was an actual mob. So, in order to... At that point, they're like, oh my god, this happened what are we going to do? And cause they thought someone was going to call the cops. Shotguns are not quiet in, in the least bit. And you're in a neighborhood. Someone would have had to heard the shots. They're thinking someone's going to call the cops. The police are going to show up. So they waited. I think he said somewhere between 45 minutes to an hour and nothing happened. So at that point they were like, we can come up with a plan. And Eric is literally just, From the time this murder happened to even this day, Eric is just destroyed. Well, not to this day. He's actually doing very well now. But um, through the whole trial and, like, everything before they were convicted, Eric is literally emotionally just destroyed. And Lyle's trying to just kind of talk him through it, trying to keep him, like, um, we need to figure out what our story is. We need to try to figure out what we're going to do. So he takes them out. They're just driving around trying to figure it out. Well, they go to the movies, buy tickets, but the tickets were bought to show a time after the murders happened. So he's like, these are useless. So, um, they eventually just get back to the house. They they decided to go with the movie thing. They get back to the house. And at that point, uh, Lyle calls 911 sobbing and says someone killed my parents 
Um, and it was made all along to look like, again, that this was all a manipulation. The media tried to make it look like, you know, Lyle was just cold and heartless and that Eric was just breaking down because um, he was worried about them getting caught. And that's not what happened. I really think that what I think it was is that I think it was a mix between A, they thought they really thought that their lives were in danger and B, they just were so sick and tired of the abuse and they just wanted it to stop. I think it was a mix between both. And I think Eric, especially knowing that he wasn't going to be able to go away to college and that there were still going to be nights that he would have to be at home, that the abuse was never going to stop. And I think that there was just this, this sense of desperation and fear, not only fear for your own life, but just the fear of the desperation of thinking that this abuse is never going to end. I think that every single one of those was just a trigger. And then I think, so Eric's was more out of the desperation and fear. And I think Lyle's was more out of just pure anger, the anger of knowing that this has been going on to Eric for just as long as it's been going on with him and even more severe and that their mom is doing nothing about it. And he's supposed to be the oldest. He's supposed to be protecting Eric. And, you know, he's thinking he's taking the worst of it to protect him. And so I think they were both coming from the same place, just two separate reactions. Right. That's, that's what I always gathered from it. And this is why I'm trying to play devil's advocate. And this is why I'm trying to make people look at it from a different way. Because again, if people remember the trial and remember how it was portrayed in the media and these made for TV movies, it was made to look like they were reacting the way they were for this reason. But I don't believe that's why I don't believe that Lyle being so mean and stern, like, okay, we got to come up with a story and Eric like breaking down. I don't think that had to do with them. Like, oh shit, we're going to get caught. I think it had more to do with like, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. I cannot believe that just happened. What are we going to do? How are, are we going to live what our are lives? Do? What are we, gonna do? we don't want to go to prison because we finally just got rid of the abuse. I apologize. I don't know if you guys heard <laughs> that, <laughs> but my throat was like, sorry. My throat's like, it's still happening. Oh my God. <laughs> it's not even a burp. It's like, there's a fucking gremlin in my throat. I was going like, is there literally a gremlin here? I think there's a gremlin it's in not my me. throat. It's not me. It's not me. It's not me. That would have been funny if you guys would have heard that. It was like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Everybody's going to be listening with earbuds. It's going to be like. Yeah. If you're not listening with earbuds, you probably didn't hear that. And you're like, what the fuck? Put Who's some earbuds that? in. It was it was not an EVP. That was just me. Yeah, that was no spirits or ghosts in the room. If there was and they growled like that, I'd be like, all right, we're done. Like, we're done. <laughs> and we're done tonight, so we're leaving. Um, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> so, what was I about to say? My fucking growling throat decided to take my point away. It took the entire thought away. Um... We were at the part where they had just gotten rid of their abusers. They didn't want to go to jail. That's right. Okay. So they were so like, they yeah. were trying to figure, it wasn't that they were like, oh my God, we're getting caught. It's, oh my God, I don't want to go to prison for the rest of my life. I want to actually live my life without. For the first time ever. Yeah. 
That's that's I feel like that's where their as head a was. free person. Right. Because that's why when they felt like they were in prison with their parents the whole time. So basically the police came. The brothers told them that they went to the theater to see the movie Batman. And then to the annual Taste of L.A. Hey, we have a Taste of Cincinnati. I can't imagine how fucking large the Taste of L.A. Oh is. Oh, my God. Though. Holy right? fuck. The Taste of Cincinnati is <laughs> big enough. Can you, even, can you even taste? Can you even move? <laughs> can you even taste? Dost thou even taste? In L.A. <laughs> Dost thou. Dost thou taste in law? <laughs> But it was it was a festival that was held at the Santa Monica. Oh God! It was so it was held at Santa Monica Civic Auditorium. There's no fucking way in hell anyone can move in there. The place ain't big enough for that elbow shit. Elbow to elbow, <laughs> throwing elbows. <laughs> um, the police did not order the brothers to undergo gunshot residue tests to find out whether they had recently used a firearm. Yeah. So at this point, the the brothers are not being suspected because how could this happen in a Beverly Hills? neighborhood and with you know this prominent family this prominent family with a very rich father happy on the outside they were great they were this happy family on the inside it was not like that well yeah like because like we said when they do eventually go to trial and family are interviewed you know nobody had anything nice to say about jose at all nothing not one nice thing to say about him. Nope. And that's kind of sad. Yeah, that's, that is but not awful. not one person. And you're dead. I mean, like, you're dead. Like, and not one person has anything nice to say about you. Family or otherwise. Nobody. Like, damn. You don't want to leave a life like that. Not at all. Um, so in the months after the murders, the brothers began to spend money lavishly, adding to a suspicion that they were somehow involved. I would like to point out, when I went through a depression, I spent money like water. Because buying things made me happy at the time. That's what I thought made me happy. And that's what was, quote unquote, helping me with my depression. I would just spend money. But I'm I'm not rich like these people. I wasn't buying fucking cars and <laughs> shit like that. But I mean, like, I would buy trinkets here and there all the time. And so I completely understand this. Having all of this money and just flying through it because you're you're depressed. You're trying to live with the fact that you killed your parents. So you're depressed on top of that depression. On top of the depression that was caused by being abused. Is there any other depression I'm forgetting? Did I mention all the depressions? I think so. Okay. So, (laughs) you have all these depressions. Spending money... Of course, Lyle spent more money than Eric. Because Lyle was more... That's kind of how Eric described it. As that's how he coped with things. Because him and his mom would go out shopping. So, Lyle spending a lot of money like that. After, you know, everything he's been through. I get that. I don't think that makes it suspicious. I think that's just someone trying to deal with it. Um, But that's just me. Um, Lyle did buy a Porsche. Just buying a fucking Porsche. He bought a cafe, a Buffalo Wing restaurant. I wonder if that was meetups. Right. (laughs) 
Um, like, well, you know, so, he's investing his money. While he's buying all these things, Eric hired a full-time tennis coach and competed in a series of tournaments in Israel. They eventually left the family mansion unoccupied as they decided to live in adjoining 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 condos in nearby Marina del Rey. They also drove around Los Angeles in their deceased mother's Mercedes Benz and dined expensively, went on overseas trips to the Caribbean and London. It is believed they spent somewhere near $700,000 during that time period between the murders and their arrests. Again, nothing weird to me. Just kids trying to deal with depression and they're also just trying to, if you think about it too, like we had just mentioned, they're trying to live their life. They're trying to do everything because they're probably in the back of their mind thinking we're going to get caught eventually. So let's just go out with a, not to be punning here, but go out with a bang and. Well, and then like we said too, if you go through pretty much your entire life of being a prisoner and this abuse and while you know that he was asked on the stand like why didn't why didn't you guys just go why didn't you guys just leave and it's like first of all we had nowhere to go and second of all he would track us down he would come after us so i mean what what else are we going to do we can't get away from him and we have nowhere to go so what are we what were we supposed to do and I could see how after them being murdered, the way the money was spent would be suspicious. I could totally see that. But I think if you look at it more from the circumstances of like a battered syndrome, this is how you would cope with that because you had no life. You had no money. You had no money on your own. I mean, they were reminded constantly that this is not their money. This is his money. So there was no way that they were allowed. They weren't allowed to buy their own clothes. They weren't allowed to, I mean, if they did have friends, like everything was so closely monitored by Jose. People don't understand the severity of it. So them going out and buying their own cars and taking their own vacations and traveling and buying their own clothes and investing money into restaurants was things that they would have actually wanted to do that they would have never been allowed to do right. with with money from him ever. Nope. Because he had total control. <clears throat> uh, during the stages of the early... Dur- hey, Durling. <laughs> Durling. <laughs> Jesus. During the early stages of the investigation, the police tried to narrow their search down to people who would have had motives to kill Jose and Kitty. One of these people included a pornography distributor named Noel Bloom, but he was found to have no involvement and was quickly cleared. They also investigated potential mob leads, but nothing came out of those. And as the investigation continued, the police believed that the brothers were most likely the culprits since they had obvious financial motives and were spending lots of money. In an attempt to get a confession from Eric, the police got Craig Signorelli. Did I pronounce that right? Um, let me see. Oh, yep, you got it. Damn! Look at me being Pretty a damn being good. A good read. <laughs> One of I can read. I can read. <laughs> What's up? I never fucking learned how to read. Not yet. One of <laughs> that was a vine. One of Eric's close friends from Love high school. Um, and tennis buddy to wear a wire while having lunch with him in a local beachfront restaurant. When Craig asked Eric if he killed his parents, Eric initially said no, but eventually confessed to doing so to his psychologist, Jerome Ozeal. 
After Lyle threatened him, Ozil told his mistress, Judalon Smith, about... I can't trust a fucking Judalon. <laughs> Those fucking Judalons. Right! About the murders. Never that... trust. Never trust a Judalon. I don't even fucking know a Judalon. Right. Um, she, told, she then told the police about the brothers' involvement. Lyle was arrested on March 8, 1990, and Eric turned himself in three days later after returning to Los Angeles from Israel. He wasn't doing a tennis thing. Both were held without bail and separated from each other. In August 1990, Judge James... I'm going to butcher his name. Albrecht? Albrecht? Albrecht, I believe so. I think it's Albrecht. Yeah. Uh, that That can also be pronounced as Albrecht. So... All bright. All bright. <laughs> um, he stated that the tapes of the conversations between Eric and Ozeal were admissible since Lyle violated doctor-patient privilege by threatening Ozeal. However, since that ruling was appealed, the proceedings were delayed for two years. The Supreme Court of California then stated in August 92 that most of these tapes were admissible except the one of Eric discussing the murders. After the decision, a Los Angeles County grand jury issued the di- indictments in December of 1992, charging the brothers with the murder of their parents. So, this is shitty of his therapist to basically... Why why is his mistress even listening in on their conversations, first of all? Like, that's really shitty of her to do that. Well, it was apparently this... So this uh, therapist had been having this ongoing affair with the uh, secretary forever. And he would record all, he would tape record or have her tape record all of his sessions with patients without them even knowing. And first of all, that's a big um, illegal Yeah, you're not supposed to do that at all. It's, you know, doctor patient, you know, doctor client confidentiality. So when this one came about with the murder, it wasn't within the doctor's right or her right, but, you know, obviously they were able to skirt around that. It was total bullshit. I mean, Leslie even brought that up. She's like, um, hello, that's illegal to do that. Yeah, they were trying to have him disbarred the doctor, uh, or not disbarred, I'm sorry, have his medical license stripped from him, um, but I think he may have just been, was just under suspicion, under uh, suspension for some time. But yeah, otherwise I really don't, I don't know how he was able to get away with that. It was just bullshit. But either way, like we said with the friend, I, I think at some point it would have come out that they did it. It would have at some point. Yeah. I just think it's really shitty that it was this way. Right. Exactly. Because Eric, Eric was about to break. So I think it wouldn't have been long after that, that he would have said something to somebody anyway. And then it would have gotten out. Um, the case became a national sensation when Court TV broadcasted the trial in 93. Their defense lawyer, Leslie Abramson, who was really, really known for, like, people all were talking so good about her everywhere. They were like, she's like one of the best defense attorneys out there. Um, she was known for her theory that the brothers were driven to murder by a lifetime of abuse at the hands of their parents especially sexual abuse at the hands of their father, who was described as a cruel perfectionist and pedophile. Their mother was described as selfish, mentally unstable, 
um, alcoholic and drug addict who encouraged her husband's abuses and was also violent towards them. So this is kind of the part where they brought in family members and they had the brothers come up and basically talk about what really happened with their father. Now, Eric mentioned that they had never told anybody about these things before, so this is being broadcasted on TV. So now something that he's been told for years as a kid from six years old to 18 years old um, that it needed to be kept as family secret is now being blasted on the TV for everyone to know. Eric also at the time was on suicide watch and was on high amounts of Valium and antipsychotics and depression and anxiety medication. So he was so half out of it too, that like what may have seemed as an act or may have seemed as him being smug was, was him under a lot of not only pressure, but guilt, but everything else, the manipulation, the depression, and then all these like psychotropic medications. He was a mess. I don't, I really don't even know if he was fit to stand trial, to be honest with you. He was just an emotional mess. Well, his brother took it first, and his brother was describing what Jose did to them. And you can just see Lyle starts crying, Eric starts crying. And you could just hear a pen drop in that courtroom. Yeah. I mean, it was like, I just, and you know, the, that one woman was like, I've just seen, you know, I've said that was a good performance. And that was like this performance. And I, I just, I don't see that as a performance. These brothers never had training acting classes. They never, they're talking about something so deep and personal with them for the first time on national television. That was hard. I can't even imagine what that was like. I just, I never saw these two young men as being manipulative liars. I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I've known people like that. <laughs> I've, I've come across people like that. Yep. And I just did not see that with them. I just talked, I just saw two young men that were broken. Yeah. Completely broken. Just just completely broken at that moment. So, um, they had family come in and talk about what they thought about the abuse. Um, Eric was talking about some of the things he didn't even remember. Uh, none of the family had anything good to say about Jose, just like we were explaining before, one of the cousins that they used to live with, they used to live with a couple cousins. It was a married couple. And uh, Jose would take Eric downstairs and Kitty would tell this guy, tell the cousin, he, she's, she's like, don't go downstairs, leave him alone. And he said he would hear noises coming from the room where he's like, it wasn't necessarily a scream, just more of a, ah, kind of thing. And he's like, he even said it. He's like, I wish I would have went down there. I wish I would have looked. And you can say what you want, but that right there should have been proof enough to me anyway, that you've got other people, family that lived with them kind of basically vouching that it was happening. Right. These brothers didn't just come up with this. And the fact that they had talked about it, when they don't even remember. It wasn't sexual abuse, obviously, because it was 
in front of the whole family out in the yard at parties and stuff. But they still were like, they were not nice to their children. Like, yeah, was, yeah, it was very visible that they didn't have what you would call in quote unquote normal relationship. And then there was that one aunt that said that, was it Eric when he was really little came and said that my dad's been touching me or said something and she, she went to Kitty and said, don't you dare say, and Kitty just looked at her and said, don't you dare say anything. This is none of your business. And so it had been brought, I mean, it's, it was brought up when they were kids. Like people were saying this is all of a sudden being brought up at this trial. No, no, there were family that knew. I mean, like I said, even the one cousin that said he heard things coming from the room even if he didn't suspect that it was sexual abuse, it was definitely something that wasn't normal. It was definitely something that like, okay, I know this is not supposed to be what occurs in a household between a father and son. Like something's happening. Yeah. Something is clearly happening. Well, the trial ended with two deadlock juries as a result of all of this talk of abuse. Cause they tried the boys. The first time they did it, they tried the boys separately. Right. Um, so the second trial wasn't as much publicized, and it was partly because the judge, Stanley Weisberg, didn't want cameras in the courtroom. And also during the second trial, he did not allow the defense testimony about the sexual abuse claims and did not allow the jury to vote on manslaughter charges instead of murder charges. That's fucking bullshit. Well, and, you know, I think a lot of that decision came from, and, you know, you and I had talked about this, and this was also something that was mentioned that, um... Because of, they had, they met with several psychologists and there was one in particular that, um, in the notes, it made it look like, I think the thing that was really the nail in the coffin with it being difficult for them to get a manslaughter charge and why it was ultimately first degree murder was that it was deemed premeditated. It was deemed that they had been plotting to kill their parents all along and you know they had bought the gun sometime before and they said it was for protection but ultimately that was the murder weapon and so i i can see it's it's this is where it gets very very difficult when it comes into the eye of the law where you know it may have very well been premeditated. I mean, the way I described it, if they were sick of this abuse and never thought it was going to end other than to kill them, then that means they gave it a thought. And as soon as you give it a thought and you do it, that's premeditated. I mean, that's automatic. That's literally all you have to do. All you have to do is go, I think about killing them. And then a week later, if you kill them, that's premeditated. Automatically, it's premeditated. And that's first degree murder. Yep. There's no way of getting around that. So... Unless you literally, like, have a gun in your hand and it accidentally goes off and kills someone, you you really can't. It's very hard to get off with a not premeditated. It, it is. It's very difficult. Yeah. So, there you go. That that yeah. was the biggest nail in the coffin with them and why it was. Because it was never, it was never a trial deeming whether or not they did or didn't do it. They did it. They clearly did it. And they admitted to doing it. But what what ultimately the goal was, was for them to at least have a manslaughter charge, if not second or third degree murder, and be able to only serve at the most 
15 to 25 years, not life. I mean, that definitely was not. So it was never a matter of saying they didn't do it. They did it, but it was the circumstances behind why and ultimately to get a lesser conviction. But like we just said, once premeditation gets in there, there's not much you're kind you can of fucked. Do. Yeah, you're fucked. There's not much else you can do about it. But um, that was very unfortunate, that second trial. It was just... Yeah. The, the whole thing is very unfortunate, really. Yeah. I don't think it was... You know, life isn't fair. Well, it really wasn't, especially because the whole no, OJ thing. Case. Uh, OJ was tried and acquitted during this time. And basically, they quote-unquote needed a win. And that also... You and I talked about that too, because that was something that they kept saying, we need to win, we need to, it's like, these are lives. You're acting like this is some fucking game. We gotta win this trophy. (laughs) Oh my god, like. That's one we should go, we should should do an episode on OJ. never be a prosecutor, ever. We're gonna do an episode on OJ. Oh my god, an OJ episode, that'd be interesting. Uh, both brothers were eventually convicted of two accounts of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. In the penalty phase of the trial, they were sentenced to life without parole. The jury said the abuse defense... Abuse defense... <laughs> abuse... The abuse, abuse... You know what? This is how we keep the mood light. I can't read. <laughs> That's exactly what this is. Is she's? We're just like, let... let um. What's my name? Casper. I almost said chicken. Oh my god. <laughs> Chicken's my but I <laughs> Chicken's my real nickname though. Right. If you guys don't know but... that, Chicken's my real nickname. So I was like, let chicken chicken. No. I have um, too many personalities. I am split. <laughs> um no, that's how we keep the moonlight. I read. Like, that's how we do it. I don't know how to read. I don't know how to Casper read. Casper doesn't know how to read or speak, so that's how, so that's how this goes. They're like, we'll keep the moonlight. Just you you read this time. <laughs> um, so I'm so sorry because I'm like, abuse. I'm looking for abuse. Um, the jury said the abuse defense was not a factor in its deliberations, but chose not to impose the death penalty because both both brothers had no criminal record or history of violence prior to the murders. Mm-hmm. However, unlike the juries in the previous trials, the jury in the penalty phase rejected the defense's theory that the brothers had killed their parents out of fear, as it is believed that they committed them into, to inherit the wealth. During the penalty phase of the trial, Abramson, their attorney, apparently told a defense witness named William Vicary to edit his notes, but the district attorney's office decided not to conduct a criminal investigation. Both that brothers. Was that was uh, that doctor I told you about. That yeah. was the one that he was told to erase from his notes um, because it would have looked like a suspicion of premeditation that the brother. She was trying to get that out because that's all they had. Mm-hmm. Because they had no. Without the abuse, they had no defense. Right. Exactly. So, um, that was actually found out, and she didn't really do anything after that. She was pretty quiet after that happened. She pled the Fifth Amendment and went on from there, and it was never brought up again. I know there were talks of having her disbarred, but that was never, there was an investigation done. It was never deemed appropriate. Both brothers also filed motions for a mistrial, claiming they had suffered irreversible damage in the penalty phase as a result of possible misconduct and ineffective representation by Abramson. 
On July 2nd of 96, Weisberg sentenced the brothers to life in prison without the possibility of parole and sentenced them to consecutive sentences for the murders and charges of conspiracy to commit murder. So they basically got the worst yeah. you can get. Just like their... <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. The California Department of Corrections separated the brothers and sent them to different prisons. They were considered to be maximum security inmates and they were segregated from other prisoners. They remained, in, they remained in separate prisons until February of 18, where Lyle was moved from Mule Creek State Prison in Northern California to the Richard Donovan Correctional Facility in San Diego, but were housed in separate units until April 4th of 18, when Lyle was moved to the same housing, using, housing unit as Eric, reuniting them for the first time since they began serving their sentences 22 years earlier. Could you imagine that? Seeing your brother after 22, 22 years. years. yeah. Wow. Well, and I know it was mentioned in the documentary, too, that they, um, which was so, and even Leslie Abrams said how ridiculous this was, that it was thought that, you know, the prosecutors really had a lot to do with feeding the media that these guys were some criminal, sadistic, mastermind, spoiled, rich kids, and that if they were housed together, that they would be a danger and that they would plot things together and... So ridiculous. They were literally all they had. But they ended up thriving in jail. I know it was a little bit harder for Lyle at first, but then once they both came around, I mean, they got counseling, they got help, they helped mentor other prisoners. They, they're thriving, you know, if, if you. And that's the thing too, like hearing them about what they're doing now, there's no way in hell to me that they did what they did for money. They did what Considering they did what they're because doing, they felt they're like they had no way out. And now, now they're trying to actually rehabilitate other prisoners. Especially Eric. Because Ly- yeah. I feel like Eric's more the extrovert. Lyle's the introvert. Yeah. And and Eric's the, the empath, the giver, the helper. He's the one that wants to... Really and for someone to do something people. like that, especially even after how he reacted when it happened, those boys did not do that. Men now did not do that because f- money... Right. I will never believe that. No. I just, I can't. No. I will never believe that. And it wasn't like, you know, how much did it ultimately end up being? Did we find that? Like how much they ended up getting from their parents? From I the, don't know. I never I actually mean, ended up I hearing how I much they and got. I, don't, I really don't think it was honestly enough that it would have sustained them. I mean, good God, guys, we're not talking about billions of dollars here. This really wouldn't have been enough. Even if it was a few million at the time, it wouldn't have been enough to, to justify and and really give them any kind of a, a living forever. It wasn't that kind of they money. They were still going to have to work. So, yeah, it wasn't that kind of money. So mm-hmm. it wasn't, it just, none of that made sense. That whole story, I think it was because the prosecutors had nothing else to go with. And then too, like we said, during the phase of the second trial, you happen to have the OJ Simpson trial at the, t- at the time happen. So this was a high profile case. This is the LA, you know, this is LAPD. This is, you know. They already had a bad, that, that office, that law office and that police department at the time had already had bad news written all over them. I mean, you go from 1992 with Rodney King, with the LA riots, then from that into OJ. And I mean, it's just like, there was such a stain in the early nineties on Los Angeles that 
if they were going to get with this was another high profile case that they were like we have got to do something we've got to make this look good on us you know fuck tr- fuck actual lives and two men being thrown in jail forever after being abused for years like we don't care about that like we just care about getting a win because we're sick of losing and we just had too much shit going on so we got to get one like it just sucked the way this whole thing came about. But. Yeah, the whole the the way this went because if it, I From feel like it would be finish, different. It was terrible now. It, if it happened now, I don't think they would have been convicted of first degree murder. No, no. I think I think if now I think if, um, you know, because there was something mentioned that there is a new law that's supposed to be coming into effect that uh basically would look at them almost in the eyes it, it's it, it's essentially like a almost like a battered woman's law so if you've been um a product of abuse for years and this led to the murder of your abuser that you can that your uh trial can be reviewed again for consideration and um it would include uh, at least in the Menendez brothers case would include all of the original testimonies and uh, maybe even re-testimonies of some of the witnesses that said that they uh, did witness them being abused. They did witness different things happening to them and in their own testimonies. Um, well, Eric pointed out too that he's, they had to write in for that and he said that they did. So they're hoping to hear back from, you know, them to, then they will review their case. I'm, I'm hope, I hope, I honest to God, I hope they do for them. They've been in prison long enough. Mm-hmm. Let them out. Especially because they're married. <laughs> so we'll get into that. Um, um, real quick too, I wanted to mention, uh, I actually found this out more recently in the research for this doctor, the psychi- psychiatrist that was mentioned, um, Dr. William uh, Vickery, the one that was, uh, told to alter his notes by Leslie Abramson in the trial. Um, as of July of this year, he has actually had to surrender his medical license. Um, he is no longer a practicing psychiatrist. Um, he was convicted of gross negligence, gross negligence and repeated negligent acts, uh, prescribing without appropriate examination, excessive prescribing, and inadequate record keeping. Um, he has been investigated from 1988 to 2016. All of that, including uh, five undercover officers who allege that he overprescribed medications with high potential for abuse without making any effort to obtain any information necessary as to whether um, the patients he was seeing suffered from any type of illnesses. Um, and who had overdosed on cocaine um, with hydrocodone and other substances. Uh, He was made aware by the patient's medical insurance company that the patient was seeing multiple providers for prescriptions. He ignored that and continued to prescribe this patient controlled substances um, because he felt like the patient was in good spirits and in good health. Um, this is from an article with the LA times back from July of this year. So yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I just thought I would point no, that no, out. No, no, that's fine. I thought that was very, very interesting I'm here like, 
to find out that this doctor, because that was a month ago. Yeah. It was just interesting <laughs> to find out that this doctor that was involved very heavily with the outcome of this case has now had his medical license pulled because even during this trial, like they said, from 1988 to 2016, this guy was being investigated. So hopefully with that and this new outcome of this battered woman abuser law uh, to go into effect in LA in 2018, I really hope that there's a turnaround and possibly an appeal process that can happen with them, have some of this evidence be looked over again and and have their trial be reconsidered because I hope so they have spent long enough they have done enough to, I I truly believe that this is enough time that they have spent in prison for these crimes well it happened this week 30 years ago 30 years ago August 20th yep 1989 so yeah Originally, like we said, it would have probably been for manslaughter, like 15 to 25 to life or 15 to 20 years. It's been close to 30. They, they, what about? Yeah. That's what I say. So <laughs> that's, that's what we say. So even if you guys, I would hope that by the end of this, that even if you guys, after listening to this, uh, knowing what you know about the trial on both sides, forming your own opinion of it. I would hope that even if you thought that, no, I'm not buying they were abused, they killed them cold-blooded, they deserve to be in jail. I would hope that even the ones that think that way would at least be reasonable enough to agree that the last almost 30 years has been enough time. Yeah. These are not serial killers. These are not uh, pathological sadistic psychopaths these are not um okay super sorry about that we had a minor computer malfunction so it just kind of stopped for a <laughs> go on and <laughs> and casper's dying so yeah we hit about that hour mark where um casper's dying and the computer <laughs> died so, uh, yeah, anyway, um, I'm fine. <laughs> fine. We're, we're good. We're, we we're got fine. it. So, uh, yeah, where I believe I left off was saying that, um, these are not sadistic killers. Even if you agree that they definitely deserve to do time. Um, I think they've done enough time and they've served their time, whether you believe they deserve to be in prison or not for this. So. Yep. Agreed. So let's talk about happy things. So they got married. Mm-hmm. So on July 2nd, 1996, Lyle married Anna Erickson on a, at his, on a ceremony attended by Abramson and his aunt Marta Menendez, which was presided over by Judge Nancy Brown. They did divorce on April 1st of 2001 after Erickson discovered that Lyle was allegedly cheating on her with another woman because in prison, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Don't be Excuse writing me. letters to other bitches. <laughs> Don't be writing those letters. In November of 2003, Lyle married Rebecca Sneed at a ceremony in a Supermax prison visiting area of Mule Creek State Prison, and they knew each other for around 10 years before the engagement. On June 12th of 99, Eric married Tammy Ruth Sackerman at Folsom State Prison in a prison waiting room. Tammy later stated, Our wedding cake was a Twinkie. <laughs> That's kind of cute. I'm not going to lie. We improvised. It was a wonderful ceremony until I had to leave. That was a very lonely night. 
In October of 2005 interview with ABC News, she described her relationship with Eric as something I've dreamed about for a long time, and it's something very special I never thought I would have. In 2005, Tammy self-published a book titled They Said We'd Never Make It, My Life with Eric Menendez, but on Larry King Live, that Eric also did a lot of editing on the book. In a 2005 interview with People, she stated, Not having sex in my life is difficult, but it's not a problem for me. I have to be emotionally attached, and I'm very emotionally attached to Eric. My family doesn't understand. When it started to get serious, some of them threw up their hands. Tammy also stated that her and her daughter drive the 150 miles every weekend to visit Eric, and that her daughter refuses to re- refers to him as her earth dead. Despite his life sentence, Eric stated, Tammy is what gets me through. I can't think about the sentence. When I do, it's a... When I do, I do it with great sadness and a primal fear. I break into a cold sweat. It's so frightening, I just haven't come to terms with it. Which, could you really, though? In 2010, A&E released a documentary about Tammy titled Mrs. Menendez. In late 2017, A&E aired a five-part documentary called The Menendez Murders, Eric Tells All, in which Eric, via telephone, recalls the murders in the aftermath, which is what we pulled most of our information from, uh, besides Wikipedia. And the series shows never-before-seen photos and new interviews with prosecutors, law enforcement, close family, friends, and medical experts. So, that's about it. That is the story of the Menendez brothers. So, we shared our opinions, and you can share your own opinion and your thoughts on the matter. We hope you guys enjoyed this, though. Like we said, we wanted to give all sides and give as true of a telling of a story that we feel like would do justice to not only the true story of who Jose and Kitty were, what ultimately happened that led to their murders, and then who Eric and Lyle really were, not just how they were portrayed. Because, um, and we're also, we're not portraying uh, Jose and Kitty in a bad light at all. Everything we said. <laughs> what's been said. We're, we're just, like we said, we're just saying what was said about them by their own families. So that's why we encourage anybody to watch these documentaries Please. yourselves and get the story. And then you can see yourselves that um, <clears throat> obviously murder is not the answer. Obviously we're not condoning it. But you get a sense and an understanding as to why. So I wish sometimes murder was the answer. The purge. Guys, <laughs> sometimes I think about that. <laughs> Don't go telling everybody. Jeez. <laughs> nah, it's too much cleanup. And by the time you'd get all the cleanup done from one year, you'd have to you'd literally have the purge again and you'd be like, oh my god, you'd have to full time have someone like multiple people hired just for cleanup. Kind of gross when you think about it. But it gets expensive, gets messy. It creates jobs. <laughs> <laughs> um. So guys, uh, tomorrow. Well, te- it's actually tomorrow that we're going. But Hell yeah. next week we are doing our location podcast on Ohio State Reformatory because that's what we're going tomorrow for a Woo-hoo! ghost hunt. Ghosties. Hell yeah. We're really excited. We were going to go to Waverly Hills, but they sold out. They sold they, they sold out fast. They sell out fast. So we're going to get our tickets hella early next year. So we make sure we can go next year. Well, but- I mean, it's one of those places that's 
purportedly one of the most haunted places in America. I mean, it's definitely on the top five list of the most haunted places in America, in the continental U.S. So everybody who's anybody books tickets well in advance, I'm sure. So ghosties. Hell yeah. But I'm ready to get next year for sure. We're going to get some pictures. We're going to try to do an EVP. I'm hoping doing the EVP sessions, we can go, we can kind of be alone because I don't want people to, because there's going to be other people. It ain't just us. Yeah. We don't really know how well that's going to go. You know, we lucked up when we did the EVPs at the Borden house because it was just us. We were the only ones in the room at the time that it happened. So there's no background noise. A window wasn't open. We know that that was just coming from in the room and it was not one of the two of us. But when you're in a situation where you're outside and you're around other people. And a giant ass building. You have to try to differentiate <laughs> between background noise, outside noise, and what is a spirit, what isn't. So, you know. This is going to be our first real... Like, whenever something, it's going to be, like, pulling a Zach from Ghost Adventures, being like, that was me walking. That was so-and-so talking. Like, making sure you mark where that's at, just right. in case. <coughs> Excuse me. But, uh, yeah, we're going tomorrow, and we're so excited. It's a nice little getaway, and then we'll be talking about it on Wednesday. And oh, yeah. you guys are going to love September, because actually in September, the entire month is a theme. The entire month. So Yay, stick I'm around excited. to find I know you are. Stick around and find out what that theme is next week. If you were listening last last week, last week you probably already know what it is. <laughs> but you probably already know what it is. Yeah, and if you know what Becky Gremlin is deathly afraid of. It is. I know. And what I'm deathly afraid of. <laughs> this is your entire month on. <laughs> this is your worst fucking nightmare. <laughs> Yay. I think my Halloween costume is going to be your worst fucking nightmare. Well, part of it. <laughs> it's mostly going to be cute. Anyway, so a word from our sponsor. <laughs> Calm your body down. So, I don't know why I was so <laughs> I lost, like, my whole train of thought. Because I was just me when I was like a boost and then I was like uh, and then I couldn't I was like I don't know where I am I don't know what I was doing I don't know I don't know <laughs> you're like I was laughing so hard to myself that I just totally lost track of everything else but um no guys so I know you've all been waiting for the big announcement of the um new products that are coming and um I've already had some dms about it um we've got Pumpkin Spice Bath Bombs, guys. Oh, oh! Hell yeah. I know everybody is super, super excited. You know, if you know, if you've been a longtime listener of this podcast, Becky Gremlin loves her PSLs. Guess what we're having next week while we're doing the podcast? Because Starbucks is coming out with Pumpkin next week. So and we're basic white bitches. Well, I'm basic white bitch, and you're basic white when it comes I'm, to pumpkin I'm spice. on the inside with the pumpkin spice. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so um, these pumpkin spice bath, bath bombs are amazing. They smell so good. Um, they are exactly the same ingredients as the regular um, calm your body down bath bombs, but they just got, like, that little hint of pumpkin spice. I can so, attest to this, too, guys. Light a fall candle. 
Use one of these bath bombs and listen to some Halloween music. Nothing will get you more in the mood. (laughs) It's getting close, guys. We're towards the end of August. You know, we're in the Midwest. If you're already feeling it in the Midwest and the East Coast, (sighs) these crisp, beautiful mornings are already starting to feel like fall. So get that jump on it. Um, I will po- I will be posting right after the podcast all about it on Instagram. They are already up on sale on the Etsy shop. They are six bucks. You get free shipping when you use the DFWTO code. Um, you'll get 20% off the bath bombs when you use the CURBD20 code. So take all of those advantages. Get those pumpkin spice bath bombs, guys. I'll be churning them out as long as you keep buying them. Um, I think so I'm actually going to buy a couple, to be honest so with you. I like literally like I have when you come up, up with the pumpkin spice, I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> I haven't even put them up yet. And I've already had like DMs where people are like, so I'm like already wanting to order some. So where they at? So I'm like, <laughs> where does pumpkin spice? Where that pumpkin spice at? So, yeah, as soon as you put pumpkin spice out there, people are like, Jimmy. So they are up. They are available. <laughs> they are on the Etsy site. So uh, get them, guys. Check out the Instagram page as soon as you listen to the podcast. Um, click on the Etsy link in the bio and they'll be there. So spooky, thank you. Spooky skeletons. Spooky season is upon us. <laughs> that was the calm spooky your body down. Season. Spooky season is upon us. <laughs> That's the calm your body down Halloween edition. I'm just going to start screaming that. <laughs> spooky season is upon us. <laughs> and then when Christmas is coming, I'm just going to be like, spooky season is upon us. <laughs> Well, you know, The Nightmare Before Christmas <laughs> is my favorite Halloween and my favorite Christmas movie, so. The Lump does not exist. No. <laughs> <laughs> How many times can you watch The Nightmare Before Christmas? The Lump does not exist. It doesn't. Um, if you guys, <clears throat> excuse me, if you guys want to follow us on our, in, on our Instagram, on our. <laughs> on our everything. On um, our uh, social media. We have Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. <clears throat> At Don't Fuck With The Original. Twitter handle is DFWTO8811. Um, if you want to email us with anything, questions, concerns, or just say, hey, feel free to email us at DFWTO8493 at gmail.com. You can find us... <clears throat> I apologize. <clears throat> at least I'm not roaring out of my throat. <laughs> um, you can find us on Podbean, CastBox, Podcast Addicts, Podcast Player, and Spotify. Give us a follow, give us a subscription, and you will see when we post new videos. Videos. Episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Because. No video, just audio. Just like today, sometimes something may come up and we'll post on a different day. That way you can kind of keep, if you don't follow social media or whatever, you can kind of keep up with what we're doing. um, And when we post. So I believe, I believe that's it. We'll That's see. It. We got it. We're gonna go ghost hunting tomorrow. And we're gonna get scared and we're gonna shit our pants. I'm not shitting any. <laughs> I mean, I'm actually not gonna shit my pants. I, I mean, I that. will shit, <laughs> but not in my pants. <laughs> she gets scared all of a sudden, she rips her pants off, and I'm like, "Oh, you had to make sure you didn't shit your pants." Like Caesar popping a squat. <laughs> I was gonna shit my pants.